0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, thank you, sir, and good afternoon. Welcome to the Tuesday, December the 8th edition of Lifeline. Here we are once again, keeping you company in the long commute down the hallway. Yes, <laughs> we are. Wow. Wow. Did we just do this back at it once again? We're all, at least for most Bay Area counties, I think with the sole exception of Solano and San Mateo County, back to working from home again, which I suppose maybe as you head into the Christmas season, if you're able to do so, that's not all of a bad thing. Um, However, if you are a restaurateur, dark days, unbelievable. And of course, we're here with the deadliest week In the United States, hospitalizations continue to climb, and you have to wonder how can we get this over with, and how soon can we make that happen? Amazing things. Well, much to talk about on today's program. And I want to start out perhaps with a statement to the obvious America has a drug problem. And by that I mean we have the largest illegal drug problem of most developed nations. In fact, globally we come in number four. You'll be pleased to know beating us are Russia, Estonia, and Eastern Europe. But aside from the horror of America's illegal drug problem, we also have a legal or prescription drug problem. In addition to having the highest per capita use of prescription drugs on the planet, we also have the highest per capita drug inflation rate. In fact, Prescription drugs in America, you'll perhaps not be surprised to discover, are substantially higher than the next nine highest countries. On average, an American spends about $1,200 per person per year, twice of what they spend in Canada, three times of what they spend in Sweden, of only $400 per person. Drug prices in the United States are on average between 30 and 190% of other similarly developed nations. If you're on Medicare, 65 plus, you spend an average of $486 on prescription drugs per year. And if you're the unfortunate one in 40 who has perhaps some kind of significant health issue... You may be spending as much as $3,200 per year. Oh, yes, there have been attempts and talk about lowering drug prices and a number of executive orders issued by the administration to reduce drug prices in America, which so far has resulted in a three tenths of a percent increase in prescription drug prices. What to do? Why have we talked about this seemingly for years, belly ached about it? If you are fortunate to live, along a border, even gotten in your car and driven to Mexico or Canada to purchase your drugs. And yet here we sit, month in, month out, year in and year out, the highest drug prices anywhere. And ironically, it's not as if we're taking better drugs or different drugs. In fact, in many cases, they're the exact same drugs that our neighbors to the north are consuming at half the cost. And our friends in Sweden consume at one third the cost. To help us better understand what's going on with this significant drug problem in America today is Bob Zadek. Bob, of course, is the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in America, The Bob Zadek Show, broadcast here live in the San Francisco Bay region every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. Bob is probably one of the sharpest guys I know when it comes to understanding the history of the Constitution of the United States. In addition to his appreciation for constitutional law and American history, he is also a best-selling author and joins us now. Bob, as always, good to have you on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Craig. And
0: uh, it's nice to get a little contact with the outside world since I'm under home confinement. Uh, I'm locked away at home, even though I have not been accused of a crime. I am not the carrier of any disease, and I'm just waiting for Gavin Newsom to send one of his minions to put an ankle bracelet on my <laughs> left or right foot to make sure that I don't dare go out for a walk, because that would be grounds to throw me in the clinker. So here oh, I am uh, <laughs>
1: on home
0: confinement, on uh, home confinement like White collar criminals are often punished, uh, but it's nice
1: to have a little outside contact. So thanks for inviting me, Craig. Well, a, a pleasure to have uh, to have you and uh, to provide a little bit of a distraction there. Here initially, I thought you were going to tell me that Anne had somehow, you know, chained you to a a, a post in the House, but <laughs> worse than that, no, it's no, the governor. No,
0: no. <laughs> it's come to what I what I do for amusement is I download the gavin newsom recall petition and i signed it i've done it about a dozen times already somehow the act of signing it makes me feel better i don't know what yeah. it is exactly uh, but that's my that's my placebo that's my way to lift my spirits i do it yet again and i say i'll show
1: you governor newsom and there i go And undoubtedly, you have uh, plenty of company in that, if not literally, at least figuratively. Well, let's get down to cases here, Robert. The issue of drug prices in America, this is a far more complicated matter than simply saying, well, let's pass a law, let's hand down an executive order and tell those drug companies they're making too much money. Um, As you have uncovered, this is sort of like peeling back the layers of an onion that has to do with everything from not just big pharma, but even the FDA and how we go about managing and controlling drugs and therefore drug prices in America. Help us understand more. What's going on here? Well,
0: first of all, uh, you have to understand the system we have in this country, the bizarre, irrational system called prescription drugs. Now, Most people, their only contact with prescription drugs is they go to their doc because they don't feel well. The doctor writes what is called in the trade script, which is prescription uh, on the inside. He writes a script, and you take it or you send it to the pharmacy, and you get the drug. Now, nobody has much contact or thought about prescriptions other than that, but... You ever wonder why, if you want to use 800-milligram aspirin or Tylenol, you need a prescription? But you can buy all the 200-milligram Tylenol you want in the whole world, and you could buy 200-milligram Tylenol over-the-counter, take four of them, and there you have 800 milligrams without a prescription. Kind of irrational, isn't it? Well, as they say... Let me explain. it's really quite simple. The system we have in this country, and it is somewhat unique in the civilized world, if that's the part of the world we find ourselves in, the system is that since about 50 years ago, the federal government, so this is relatively new in most in many people's lifetime, the, the federal government makes a decision as to every single drug, and that itself isn't defined term, let's just say we kind of know what drugs are, as to every single drug sold in America, the federal government, yes, those bureaucrats who give us lockdowns, the federal government will decide if that drug can be sold over-the-counter without a prescription or whether it requires a prescription it does so in its own byzantine, secretive way, deciding whether or not consumers can be trusted making a decision about this drug. In other words, we really can't be trusted, nor can our doctor be trusted, to decide what should be taken with what instructions. Now, the system used to be that The drug manufacturers manufactured drugs, and they dictated. They said, well, this drug can be subject to misuse or it's confusing, so we instruct pharmacies not to sell this drug to anybody unless they have a prescription. In other words, the the drug companies decide— What should be sold over the counter and what should have a prescription? Now, why would they make that decision? Well, if they felt a drug was dangerous, whatever that means, but in their judgment, and they didn't want to be sued if somebody overdosed or used it incorrectly, as as a protection against being sued, they said, we let the doctor decide. So if somebody takes the drug and overdoses – the fault is the consumer or the doctor, and we can't be yelled at. If, on the other hand, a drug is not dangerous or the instructions can be made clear, then it can be sold over the counter. In other words, a healthcare care professional who you select, Craig, your doctor, will decide— uh, how much of this drug you should take and under what conditions? And if the drug company decided this was safe, then it could be sold over the counter. Now, you talked about drug pricing. Let's see how that affects pricing. Well, what hap- it happens that drug companies love to have drugs requiring a prescription. Why do they like it? You would think their sales are lower. No, they like it, because if drugs are sold pursuant to prescription, that means that health insurance, Medicare, Medicaid will generally pay for that, which means it's free or pretty much free to the consumer. Therefore, the consumer doesn't care what it costs. So the drug companies can charge buckets of money for prescription drugs, because nobody knows what it really costs. Craig, any prescription you've bought in your adult life, you have no idea how much it costs, because the insurance company pays. Now you'll say to yourself, well, maybe the insurance companies don't want to pay a lot. They don't really care either, because they just build it into their premium. And therefore, whatever they pay, first of all, they negotiate lower prices. And second of all, they build it as a premium. So nobody cares what drugs cost for prescription drugs. Now, compare that to over-the-counter. When you go into CVS or Walgreens and you look at the over-the-counter drugs, the cost medicine, the, uh, the throat lozenges, whatever it is, they're always on sale. They're really cheap because that's consumers are paying real money. And therefore, there is price competition. So we have a system now where the federal government dictates what should be sold uh, on prescription. The drug companies really like the federal government to require prescriptions. So they get to, as I said, charge higher prices and and. Usually, the federal government will do what the drug companies ask them to do in terms of prescription or over-the-counter. So because we do not have a market, a free market for prescription drugs, nobody knows what they cost. It's somebody else's money in most consumers' minds. Therefore, the prices are out of whack because there is no marketplace. Now, one little other comment, if I may, Craig. There are two segments of our economy that where the price increases year over year always is higher than inflation. Those two areas are healthcare care and higher education. What do those two areas of the economy have in common? neither in both areas the consumer is spending somebody else's money with higher education students are spending student loan money which is invisible to them and it's soon going to be free anyway when Biden gets in so they are spending the lenders money in healthcare you're spending the insurance companies money so those two areas where there is no free market there's no price competition they always are higher than the increase in inflation that's not an accident so the problem is very simple once the federal government gets out of the prescription compelling business and puts it back in the hands of doctors and consumers, consumers can decide what medications to take after consulting with their doctor and get the federal government out of the, consumer, the prescription writing business. There, not that complicated after all, Greg.
1: Is pretty basic. I want to dig a little bit deeper. We'll do that right after a quick timeout. Bob Zadek is with us today. He, of course, is the host of the Bob Zadek program. You can catch his informative shows Sunday mornings here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. Complete details along with resources, copies of Bob's books, transcripts of shows, podcasts, all kinds of goodies available for you, waiting at BobZadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. We'll take a brief time out. When we come back, why did we tolerate it in this industry and yet no other details around the corner to get us around that corner. Here's the latest from the KFAX traffic center.
0: And now back to lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We are beginning to unravel some of the complicated layers of prescription drugs here in America. Why the prices are so outrageous why this seems to be one area. And here's an important question for our expert today, Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show. Again, details on the web at bobzadek.com. His program, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 a.m. The Answer, and you can check out his website for information about where the program is broadcast across the country if you've got friends elsewhere that you'd like to invite to tune in. But I'm curious, Bob, we were talking about Virtually any other industry in America today, and the conversation was surrounded by terminology like price fixing, collusion, market manipulation, you know that in a New York second, they would have the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission would be all over this, there would be congressional hearings, and likely before it was all said and done, somebody would wind up going to jail. Why does this one industry seem to be exempt from all of that?
0: Well not the industry is not exempt. What we have is there is a concept in economics called regulatory capture. That is the phenomenon whereby an industry is regulated, but the industry which is regulated has captured control not actual control but de facto control over the regulator so the regulator exists to protect the regulated rather than to protect the consumer it happened in lots of areas large and small it happened a lot in environmental areas um when you if you remember the uh the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico many years ago um, where there was an oil rig, uh, the BP oil spill, which cost billions oh, yes. of dollars. Well, that was an example of the regulators cut the drilling company, the contractor for BP oil, lots of slack and didn't examine because they were they wanted to make to protect the regulated from excessive pricing and control and they did that because they were in league with each other not in a criminal way there's no suggestion it was bribery involved they just take care of each other there's a lot of uh, revolving door people go back and forth between the regulated and the regulator so they know each other they hang out at the same places so regulatory capture is not unusual in banking it predominates uh, the banking bill that was passed in 2008, after the alleged financial meltdown, uh, that was a bill that large banks loved. It increased the regulation, but large banks could afford to pay for the regulation. Smaller banks could not; they didn't have as big an earnings base, and therefore the the regulation that came out of the crisis in 2008 drove smaller banks out of business exactly what the big banks wanted. So let's not be surprised. It happens all the time, and the answer is regulatory capture. But there's another reason um, why what happened to the drug industry. Politics, remember politics, Greg? It happens. Uh, decisions are made not in the best interest of consumers, but so that politicians can be elected. Now, one little story about prescription drugs will explain it all. You may remember that there has been in the past twenty years the there there is this drug called the morning after pill. It is a contraception that uh, a woman girl takes the 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 morning following a sexual encounter and that pill will have the effect of, of aborting any um, egg that's been fertilized.
1: It's, it's a divorce. Are you, are you 486?
0: Yes, that's exactly right. Call the morning after pill. Now, um, first of all, should that be subject to prescription? Well, you cannot be damaged by taking that pill, even if you OD'd. Nothing happens except some minor menstrual cramps, and that's it. So, therefore, it is as safe as Tylenol, over-the-counter. But because of, the, of conservatives who have strong feelings about abortion and consider that to be a form of abortion, um, they... Wanted it to be subject to prescription and then after a while when it was proven to be safe the Obama administration Reluctantly Consented to allow it to be sold over the counter, which means the price goes way down But President Obama said no it cannot be sold over the counter to young women younger than 17 Why? Because Obama said it just was offensive to him to have a young teenage girl go into a drugstore and say, I'd like bubble gum, I'd like some batteries, and give me some morning-after pills. And that was offensive to Obama on a social basis, not on a medical basis, but so it was that now a young girl who could buy 1,000 Tylenol over-the-counter enough to kill her— could not buy over the counter prescription over the counter morning after pills which could never harm her because it was a political It was political finally the FDA reluctantly with a lot of political pressure finally said okay it can be over-the-counter and we but that was just I'm telling you the story to show how prices are affected by non medical considerations as a way for elected officials to make personal decisions for you and I rather than have us make the decisions
1: so Congress now today is in
0: reluctant. I'm sorry go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was going to say today um Annie Briggs a representative out of Arizona has introduced legislation into the house that is aimed at eliminating the federal prescribing requirements uh, basically essentially saying and i'm quoting here for over 80 years we've been operating under the nanny state mentality that washington bureaucrats know what drug choices are best for our patients and then goes on to say that it's time to uh end the prescribing requirements do you think there's ever a chance of that actually seeing the light of day
0: it depends on who gets elected uh, if i got elected the answer is you bet if you got elected <laughs> the answer is probably if biden gets elected no, I tend to doubt it. He's he's um, a nanny stater, tried and true. So the answer is no. So why do I care? As a libertarian, I'm not a doctor. Why do I care about it? I care about it because I'm offended that somebody in Washington, who will never meet me and I will never meet happily, makes a decision what I can be trusted putting into my body. No i know better than that person and if i have any doubts i will ask my doctor who i do trust i don't trust somebody who's elected to the house of representatives or somebody serving in the executive branch i don't trust them to know what's best for me uh, they have other agenda i do trust my physician and even if i was going to take it over the counter medication if my physician said here's the dose you should take i would follow that even though the government allows me to take more. I am not suicidal. I leave my my health to my professionals and to myself, and I leave my family's health to me and my family members. I don't need Washington controlling that. So as a result of Washington inviting itself into the doctor's office to join you and your physician, as a result of Washington do that, as you open your show, drug prices are high, And more importantly to me than the price is the decision-making is removed so that I have not permitted access to a drug unless somebody in Washington says it's okay and I get permission from my doctor. It removes an important decision, what goes into my body, from me, and places it in a faceless, nameless bureaucrat who has nothing in common with me. And that's why we are chatting about this this evening.
1: And, of course, the alternate irony, as you point out, is you can't uh, um, purchase 800 milligram of Tylenol, but you can go purchase 200 milligram and take four and have the exact same result. It just shows... The disconnect that is inherent to the way this is managed by Washington, D.C. And of course, much to the delight of Big Pharma, the insurance companies, all those costs are passed on to you and me. So we have artificially high prices because of all of this. And the story continues. Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show. We invite you to check him out Sunday mornings on 8:60 a.m. The Answer. Complete details, including information about past guests and other resources available at Bob's website. Check them out at BobZadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. All right, here at 535, let's get caught up on traffic.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, welcome back to the conversation. One quick note, if I might, we were getting pressed for time there at the end of that last uh, segment. We were discussing toward the end, Bob is using as an example, um, uh, controls and restrictions related to RU-486, the abort efficient, which, of course, is necessary to be prescribed for a couple of reasons, not least of which is that there are significant potential side effects. And those side effects at the end of the day are always 100% of the time lethal for the child and potentially Uh, dangerous to the point of being lethal for the mother. So one of the reasons why, and again, you have to balance out. Some drugs need to be controlled, need to be under a doctor's supervision because of the potentiality of side effects, uh, counterindication, things of that sort. It's not just a matter of saying, let's open it up so that any drug would be available. Even countries where there's less controls than what we see here, certain drugs, particularly those that can be uh, dangerous, and or potentially habit forming are potentially habit-forming, are typically under some sort of doctor's supervision. All right, let's uh, turn a corner. We talked about a couple of weeks ago the fact that the um, approach to dealing with coronavirus in New York um, had been shot down by the United States Supreme Court, uh, indicating that uh, the governor there, Cuomo, had put in place some of the most restrictive regulations of any state in the union, and at the end of the day, uh, just around the Thanksgiving time, the um, Supreme Court, in a 5-4 ruling, said, nope, this is a, just a field too far, and shot down that particular regulation in New York. Well, now the Supreme Court, as recent as last Thursday, has cited in a similar case, this time here in California, that Governor Newsom's restrictions on worship services uh, during the coronavirus pandemic also go a field too far. The justice is tossing out an order from a central district of California that it upheld the governor's restrictions on houses of worship. Let's get more detail now as we're joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dakis. And uh, Brad certainly And in light of uh, the the current lockdown that we're in once again, seemingly back to the month of March again, I thought we got past March, but we're seemingly back here again. And yet this time around, uh, we're seeing not only district courts, but now the U.S. Supreme Court weigh in on the subject of just how far governors can go in an attempt to, quote unquote, control the coronavirus. Tell us what happened. What came down last Thursday? Yeah,
3: this is uh, another step in the right direction. It's what we're predicting to be seeing more and more of. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court made it clear that, that governors cannot engage in an unequal treatment of churches when it comes to their having indoor meetings versus uh, airports uh, being open and having people in or government buildings and other places of gathering. So uh, it was a wonderful decision. Uh, it was a powerful decision. Uh, well, then they, this appeal came up from the Ninth Circuit, and uh, the Ninth Circuit had, had, you know, gone along with uh, the idea that, hey, whatever, you know, if the governor wants to shut churches down and they think that's okay, we'll give great deference. It's called the Jacobson Rule. We'll just we'll just give deference to health and safety issue. We're not going to get in the—we're not scientists. We're not going to, you know, challenge it. Well, the Supreme Court um, made it very clear, okay, that's no longer— uh, the test. The test is what we gave in our New York decision. So we're. So he said they said to the Ninth Circuit, we're sending this case back to you, the Ninth Circuit, and we want this reheard in view of the standards that we established and made very clear in our earlier decision that the Constitution is never to be put on a shelf. The government has to always provide equal treatment and equal protection, particularly when it comes to religious freedom and houses of worship. So uh, this is great, and I expect to see this in other uh, case matters. At the same time, Craig, we at Pacific Justice Institute have filed a major lawsuit against Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, It's paralleled in many ways with the Supreme Court decision. We filed our our cases a few days before that decision came out, by the way. So uh, hats off to our chief counsel, but I'm very optimistic that we're going to see the House of Cards come tumbling down in uh, all these, uh, particularly these blue states that have been so unreasonable and tyrannical with regards to churches.
1: Now, to the degree that you're able to share, what is different or broader about your suit in light of uh, what the, uh, the the U.S. Supreme Court said on Thursday?
3: Well, our our decision, I mean, our our case um, is uh, very. Specific with regards to the, the evidence as far as the factual matters supporting it. So, uh, we specifically got the evidence and facts uh, surrounding the Santa Clara County Airport and that there are no limits uh, regarding occupancy, and same with the airplanes, the American Airlines. So, uh, ours has the, the, the fact base that is, makes it very clean and very easy for the Supreme Court to apply the the rule of law that it recognized in the case and apply it in a way that's um, very uh, tight and very closed closed and shut uh, moving forward Uh, in a way that we're not going to have to go back and forth again uh, because the way we've laid out our case. It's going to be pretty definitive, and it's also very, very broad as well. It's actually broader in in its uh, application of the law that uh, I think is, Going to, going to be uh, acceptable to the Supreme Court based on what they decided. I think they're going to, uh, to sign off on it. But it's, I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, moving forward. The only thing churches need to do, they can have indoor services at this point, even though it goes against the governor's rule, but the Supreme Court says churches can have indoor services so long as they engage in all the, the, the safety protocol and, and above reproach regarding masks and distancing, et cetera. And we have that checklist on our website to ensure that that happens.
1: And again, folks can go to pacificjustice.org to get more information pertaining to that checklist. I know that there's been so much confusion related to this. I mean, it's not just the management of, of uh, COVID since the beginning, but one county, one regulation, a different county, a different regulation, some are enforced, others are not enforced, and it It almost requires to have a law degree like Brad Dacus to try to figure it all out. You're just trying to pastor a church, right? So if you want more information, again, pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Is there any sense, Brad, in terms of timing in relationship to uh, your suit, given the fact that now we've got yet another set of lockdown orders here? So uh, it would seem to me time is of the essence.
3: Temporary straining order. Uh, the judge uh, denied the TRO, and uh, now we're going to be filing for a writ. Uh, so it's on a very, uh, what I call a definite, fast track. But we're very confident we got a Supreme Court, I think, that's willing to, uh, to take it up and uh, to uh, to make sure that we, we get it done. Uh, also, some good news, um, a judge, a federal judge, Judge uh, Chapin, uh, in Southern California ruled that businesses, uh, they said, that uh, you know the L.A. County you know, didn't prove its case to, to shut down all these restaurants. And then the judge says, but now we've got the governor shut down, so now the uh, restaurant associations have to amend their complaint, refile it against the governor's shutdown. But it looks like this is the judge that gets it and is holding their feet to the fire of the government and saying, you've got to prove, you have to prove that outdoor eating dangerous, he says, because what I've read from the CDC says it's not. So, I mean, we've got a a really independent judge uh, that I see on this. It's not our case, but I'm really glad, and I think it's going to be great for the business sector as well as their constitutional rights begin to be recognized once again as well.
1: Undoubtedly very frustrating for them, especially as they're looking at the end of the year here and trying to close this humongous income gap. Um, given all the churning that we've seen since March of this year. And then as you try to, and we've all seen it, the big tents that are set up and they're renting tables and putting in heating systems and lighting. And to be told, oh, yeah, did we say that you could do that outside? No, you can't do that outside either. I mean, uh, it's—it's. this is not a time when it's pleasant to be a restaurateur, no doubt. Brad Davis, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, online at pacificjustice.com dot org five forty nine traffic
0: and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, welcome back. Speaking of um, presidential appointees, on Sunday, President-elect Joe Biden announced that he will nominate our own Attorney General Javier Becerra for Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, And, and ironically. There are some supporters out there that are saying, oh, he's just a moderate. And <laughs> the the irony is, uh, if you've ever seen uh, David Dole of the Rational National, uh, it's very clear. Progressives recognize Becerra as a progressive. A moderate, he is not. With more on this and the potential impact on pro-life issues, Brian Johnston joins us. Host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. He's also Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. I found it interesting to see that, that they're trying to argue this guy is a moderate when even the staunch progressives out there clearly embrace this man's policies. Tell us more.
2: Well, Craig, I can tell you, Javier Becerra is, is not, he was an extremist. And you really have to recognize, you know, when we talk about the right to life, we're actually talking about a very straightforward question. What is the nature of the human person? And what is the nature of government? And the bigger debate culturally is about that. And so when you use the word progressive, You're talking about someone who views government as being a supreme tribunal and who has the capacity, if need be, to take certain lives whenever it sees fit, that certain lives are not worthy of living. And so without due process of law, certain lives should be taken because they're in the way of progress. And that really is what happens with every progressive worldview, and in particular, when we talk about, again, the Democrat Party, we're, we're looking historically, this is not the Democrat Party of JFK, of Harry Truman, of your parents. The ideology of the Democrat Party embraces abortion on demand and has made that an essential element. But Mr. Becerra, as the Attorney General, I want to remind you, this guy, it isn't just that he tolerates abortion. He sued crisis pregnancy centers to require them to promote abortion. So it isn't just that they would offer alternatives. No, no. They were to be required by law to promote abortion. And thankfully, that went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and he did not prevail. But that's just one example. As you know, this is a guy who has at every turn, for example, the situation with the exposure And, again, our opponents live in darkness. They live by not examining what happens in choice. If you buy into the choice argument and don't go any deeper, well, that's a nice word. What's wrong with that? That isn't what they're talking about. They're talking about abortion just because you want an abortion. And he has worked assiduously in any exposure of that has been attacked. When David Delighton exposed through the Center for Medical Progress, those folks did a great job, and David is best known for representing Center for Medical Progress. But the fact is, is that they were immediately attacked. And those were facts. Those That is done routinely in exposing falsehood by having undercover journalism. That's routinely done. There has been anyone else in the history of California sued for undercover journalism, but if you're exposing unlimited abortion and actually ordering body parts by gestational age, and then being able—yes, well, you know how you do the abortion. We don't want to crush the liver, or oh, you want to buy certain kidneys? Okay, well, we we will do it, the abortion through a different procedure. They can do the abortion any way they want. And it's revealing the fact, the more you look at abortion, you realize that's
0: a human being.
2: They do not want that examination. There's a prohibition in the progressive worldview that you'd not look at what the words really mean. And this man has used his office as attorney general for the most radical. He's not, he's not reasonable. He's not tolerating dissent on this issue. This is where society must progress towards, and any dissenters have to be left behind or silenced because you're holding society back. In the progressive worldview, you're an impediment. And that's extremely common. We could talk about this, but if you study Marxism, again, I spent a lot If you look at what communism really is, people understand China isn't just another country. Oh, it's just one other country. And if you don't like China, then you're xenophobic. No, it is a communist-controlled country, absolute tyranny, human lives are cheap, human lives are disposable. And that is exactly the worldview of a progressive. That's a progressive country. Communism is a progressive theology, if you will. It's just there's no God. But they're going to a brave new world. They're going to bring about the perfect world, and if you oppose that, then you stand in the way. And so this is very ominous, and it clearly indicates that Mr. Biden is anything but moderate. He is anything but reasonable. He is going to bring with him the entire train of the current Democrat party and the most radical folks in it
1: and and of course, you know it, it should be noted that Basera has a history and track record um, with organizations like uh, NARAL and other Pro-abortion groups where he receives very high marks. So let let's not uh, have that (laughs) that point lost on us either. It'll be interesting to see uh, once we get down to it what that uh, confirmation hearing sounds like. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, you get into deeper issues of these and other matters of concern to pro-life folks by tuning in every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. for Life Matters. Complete details on the web. Go to californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. Also remind you, as you are considering your year-end giving, not only are there tax benefits, but there are also spiritual benefits of well in standing behind organizations that stand behind the unborn and give voice to those who have no voice. So we urge you to uh, support California Pro-Life by checking them out online, californiaprolife.org. 6 o'clock from KFAX, let's get you an update on traffic.